0: And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that, the, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is the word of the Lord. Good
1: morning. If you're visiting with us this morning, I'm Richard, one of the elders here at Grace City. I preach occasionally, but mostly lead our worship ministry, so you usually see me over there with a guitar. Um, This morning, I'm excited to look with you at one of my favorite passages in Scripture. But before we do, let's pray and ask God's blessing on our time in His Word. Father, as we look into Your Word this morning, would You meet us and teach us? As we look at the lives of those who followed you before us, would you inspire us to love you more and follow you more closely? In Jesus' name, amen. So we're in the season of the church year known as Advent, which, as we've discussed in previous weeks, is a time of preparation for uh, celebrating Christmas well. We want to prepare ourselves to celebrate the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And to do that, we remember what it was like to be waiting before he came for the first time. We put ourselves in the shoes of the people who were waiting for the Messiah 2,000 years ago, the first time he came. And that also helps remind us that we're still waiting, like we sang this morning, for Jesus to come again and make all things right once and for all. Each week during Advent this year, we're looking at a particular character in the Christmas story and examining how they waited in order to see what God would teach us about our own waiting whether that's something big like waiting for Jesus to return or perhaps waiting for God to act in some smaller way in our lives. The last two weeks, um, Matt walked us through the lives of Mary and Joseph and how they waited. This week, we're turning our attention to Simeon. And Simeon is a character that doesn't normally get included in the Christmas story because he doesn't actually meet Jesus until Jesus is uh, a little over a month old. So sometimes he comes up a week or two later if you've got a church that's following through the whole story, like into January. Um, But you don't usually hear about him at Christmas. It's just after the Christmas story. But he was still very much waiting for a Savior to come. And I believe we can learn a lot for our lives from this account of Simeon. Uh, Not to mention the the passage in Luke that Paul read for us today with the story about Simeon and the bit about um, Anna that comes right after it in the story is such a beautiful and dense passage. It's actually, out of all the narrative and all of Scripture, it's been probably my favorite for years and years. And so I'm excited to look into it today with you. So first off, let's look at the context. What's happening as we get into the story? Luke assumes, um, as he, he throws out several things in the first couple of verses that Paul read, Luke assumes you know what he's referring to. You know what's going on. So let's catch up on that. So at this point, Jesus is 40 days old. According to the law in Leviticus 12, a male child, or first male child, um, is supposed to be circumcised on the eighth day, and then another 32 days later, the mother's supposed to go to the priest with a sacrifice for her purification. So there's 40 days total that passed before they would be showing up here. That's also when you would dedicate or make an offering to redeem a firstborn son. So Luke is referring to two things there. So Mary and Joseph, as faithful Jews, are headed to Jerusalem, to the temple, to do these two things, make the sacrifice for Mary's purification after giving birth, and dedicate Jesus. Interestingly, the normal move at this point for a family outside the tribe of Levi would be to make an offering of five shekels of silver to redeem their son from the Lord, because the Lord says all firstborns are mine and the tribe of Levites, I'm, I'm keeping the firstborns kind of as um, workers in the temple, but all the other tribes, you bring this offering to kind of redeem your, your firstborn back, uh, but that doesn't show up in this narrative at all, which is interesting to me. Uh, apparently, they're just dedicating Jesus in the temple, which could be symbolic of him kind of retaining his priestly duties for us like we see elsewhere in the New Testament. So it's just like an interesting detail. The the word redeem isn't used there, but that's what you'd expect, and that sacrifice never seems to happen. Uh, You do see other examples, like um, when Hannah dedicates Samuel, at the beginning of Samuel, where um, that offering isn't made, and that Samuel ends up in service as a prophet uh, for God. Luke also notes that Joseph and Mary are bringing two birds for Mary's sacrifice. The original sacrifice mandated in Leviticus 12 for purification after the birth of a child is a lamb and a pigeon or turtle dove. But then there's this little provision at the end that if the mother can't afford a lamb, she can do two birds instead. And Luke doesn't make a big deal out of this, but I think it underscores the humility of Jesus' identification with humanity because so he was born into an ordinary, non-wealthy family, one that, in this case, couldn't afford the kind of standard, larger sacrifice. This trip for them up to Jerusalem would have been a big deal. They weren't just kind of popping into the temple between running other errands, like, you know, you might do here with your church downtown. It's just kind of on the way to something else, and it's, it's what we do. In this case, it would have taken about a week on foot to get from Nazareth, where they lived, up to Jerusalem, and then, of course, a week to get back when they're done. So this is a big trip. It's not in this story, but based on other accounts of things happening in the temple courts, we can assume it was quite crowded and busy with probably hundreds of people doing various things, lots of things happening at once. So when you read about this, don't picture like a baby dedication here where everybody's focused on the same thing and there's like one baby up front and it's all super orderly and clear uh, what's happening at that moment. Mary and Jesus are not the center of attention for most people. No one's really paying any attention to them at all except maybe the priest who's receiving their sacrifice and one other person, the subject of today's message. So in verse 25, Luke introduces us to a new character, Simeon. And today, we're going to see that Simeon's waiting is saturated in Scripture and the Holy Spirit. It's saturated in Scripture and in the Holy Spirit. And the big encouragement here and the core theme for us today is that what Simeon had in part, God has made available to us much more fully for our life and for our waiting. Luke introduces Simeon with three facts about him right away. First off, Luke says that he's a righteous and devout man. Like Joseph, whom we looked at last week, Simeon was actively doing what he knew to be right as he waited. Righteous suggests pursuing moral purity, and devout suggests faithful worship. So he's kind of doing the right thing, maybe towards other people, following the law, doing the right thing towards God, worshiping and praying and sacrificing. And basically, Luke is calling out Simeon here as an exemplary Jewish man. He's just saying he's, he's a good guy, he's trying to follow God. Second, Simeon, according to Luke, is, quote, waiting for the consolation of Israel, waiting for the consolation of Israel, which is a way to say waiting for the Messiah. The idea of the Messiah or Savior coming and bringing comfort and consolation to Israel shows up over and over again in prophecy, particularly throughout Isaiah. So Luke is giving us this little hint that Simeon knows about these prophecies and is waiting for them to be fulfilled. And the Greek word that Luke uses that's translated waiting here is one that has a connotation of waiting expectantly, eagerly. Um, I think it's literally um, ready to receive to oneself. And it's kind of the same word you would use when you're excitedly welcoming in a guest into your house. And in classical Greek, it shows up in that use a whole lot more than as waiting. So this is kind of a metaphor for he's waiting so much, he just can't wait, you know? Third, Luke says, Simeon has the Holy Spirit upon him. This is particularly significant for Luke to call out because at that time, it was a special, unusual thing for a believer to have the Holy Spirit. And it was a temporary gift that could come and go. You get a hint at this in Psalm 51 when David prays, take not your Holy Spirit from me. So Luke is saying that God is particularly present in and with Simeon. The Holy Spirit is a major player in this story. So let's talk a bit about who the Holy Spirit is. From Scripture and from the tradition of the church interpreting Scripture over the centuries, especially as captured in the major creeds like the Apostles' Creed and Nicene Creed, We as a church believe that God is one God eternally existing in three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. This becomes particularly clear in the New Testament where the Son, Jesus, becomes incarnate as a man, which is what we celebrate on Christmas, and Jesus talks explicitly about the Father and the Spirit. But you see all three persons of the Trinity throughout the whole Bible. And once Jesus sort of makes it clear, you look back, you see that throughout. So we see from scripture and from church tradition that the Holy Spirit is fully God with the Father and the Son, but what does he do? What's his unique role? Well, in the Bible, the Holy Spirit does several things. He empowers, he purifies, he reveals. Let's look briefly at each of those, and then we'll see how this shows up in Simeon and then in us. Uh, Number one, the Holy Spirit empowers. Throughout the Bible, we see the Spirit credited with giving and sustaining life in all creatures, all the way back to the beginning of Genesis. And then all over the Bible, both in the Old and New Testament, we see the Holy Spirit empowering people for service in particular ways. For example, when David was anointed to be king, 1 Samuel says in 1 Samuel 16, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And in the New Testament, Jesus promised to his disciples before he ascended to heaven in Acts 1.8, you will receive power from the, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. And in Acts, the early church does miracles and preaches boldly despite a lot of persecution. And why does that happen? The Bible tells us they were empowered by the Spirit. So that's the first one. The Spirit empowers. Second thing the Holy Spirit does in believers is he purifies. Not a coincidence. Holy is in his name. Um, The New Testament emphasizes over and over again that the various ways uh, we can overcome sin, quote, by the Spirit. And all the positive qualities we want to have, all the things that could be in us that reflect God's character, like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, the Apostle Paul calls these the fruit of the Spirit. So the Spirit helps us put sin to death, and the Spirit produces good fruits in us, in the place of sin. Third, the Holy Spirit reveals. In the Bible, the prophets and apostles speak truth about God under inspiration from the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament prophets, you'll see phrases like, the Spirit came upon so-and-so, and and they prophesied. The Apostle Peter says in 2 Peter 1, quote, no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus promises his disciples in John 16, when the Spirit comes, Jesus says, he will guide you into all truth. It's not just prophecy or revelation that will become scripture that the Holy Spirit reveals, though. We see many examples of the Spirit giving particular guidance and direction to individuals in particular circumstances. And we're going to see that in this story. We also see the Spirit giving believers assurance which I think is really encouraging. Romans 8.16, the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. So we'll come back to our relationship with the Holy Spirit as Christians in a moment, but for now, with that background, let's turn our attention back to Simeon and see where these things show up in the story. So right away in verse 26, we see the Holy Holy Spirit doing what we just talked about. It says, it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ or Messiah. Christ is the Greek word. Messiah is the Hebrew word. In other words, God revealed to Simeon something. He said, (laughs) revealed something like, you know that consolation of Israel that you've been eagerly waiting for? You're going to get to see those prophecies come true before you die, which is an amazing promise. Can you imagine that? such a beautiful gift. The Jews hadn't had a prophet for over 300 years. They had no idea when God was going to send the Messiah, but this one guy gets a promise. It's going to be in your lifetime. You're going to get to see it. Wow. Now, continuing into verse 27, the Spirit is still acting in Simeon. It says, and Simeon came, into the, came in the Spirit into the temple and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, Simeon took Jesus up in his arms and blessed God. And we'll get to what he said in his blessing in a moment. But first, see how the Holy Spirit directed Simeon toward the fulfillment of that promise. So the Holy Spirit revealed the promise, and then the Holy Spirit guided him towards actually experiencing the revelation of that promise. I think the, the relative roles of Simeon and the Spirit are important here. There are a few occasions in Scripture where where we see the Holy Spirit bodily moving somebody. Uh, Like at the end of the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts 8, the Spirit carried Philip away. He just kind of disappears, and the Ethiopian eunuch goes on with his day. Um, But the overwhelming majority of the time, and, and even the whole rest of the story about Philip up to that point, the Spirit reveals and directs but leaves the person to act on their own volition. And that seems like the right interpretation here. The Spirit directed Simeon into the temple to encounter Jesus, but Simeon had to act. He had to go and do what the Spirit directed. I don't think he was just waiting around to be picked up and dropped in front of the Messiah when it was time. He was paying attention. And this is important here because this is the way you and I are mostly going to interact with the Holy Spirit in us. It's not gonna be this passive thing where we're just taken over By the Holy Spirit. It's going to be us paying attention to this voice because the the Spirit's not pushy. So Simeon, guided by the Spirit, he's made his way into the temple crowd to find this ordinary baby with this ordinary family to take him in his arms and bless him. I assume Mary and Joseph at this point are like, this whole year has been weird enough as it is. (laughs) Of course, there'd be some random guy dropping by to to bless our child, and you see this a little bit later, I think it's like verse 32, and they marveled at what was being said about him. Um, But at this point, it's probably just happening one thing after another, like virgin birth and everything after that feels less surprising. So what we see in in this blessing um the, the Holy Spirit tells us a lot of things about God in, in Simeon's blessing, and we're going to look at that. But it, it also tells us a lot about Simeon and the kind of person he is and how he's prepared to be used by God. Um, most notably, he knows Scripture deeply, and he knows and trusts what God has promised already. We can see that Simeon has meditated deeply on Scripture because this blessing that he speaks when he picks up Jesus is packed with references back to Old Testament Messianic prophecy, especially from Isaiah. So, let's look at some of those connections. So, first off, verse 30 and 31 in Luke 2. My eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. This echoes Isaiah 52 and Psalm 98. Let me show you. Isaiah 52.10 The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all nations, and the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. In Psalm 98, too, the Lord has made known his salvation. He has revealed his righteousness in the sight of the nations. You can see how Simeon's prayer is informed by deeply knowing that scripture. He's not just making up these words out of nowhere. Uh, He's taking all the stuff that has been marinated in him, and it's coming out as he's responding to what God's doing. And it keeps going. Verse 32, um, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people. Israel calls back to Isaiah 49, where um, the Lord says about the Messiah, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. And later in Isaiah 60, God says to Israel, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you, and nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Simeon knew the promises of God really well, so he was primed to recognize them when they were fulfilled. He was in a place where he could see it and this is kind of how our brains work anyway. Um, you, you see the things you expect to see in the world, like if you start shopping for a particular car, suddenly everybody's driving that kind of car. That's, that's your brain noticing the things you expect to see and it wasn't that everybody started doing it at that point, they didn't all buy the car yesterday, um, but it was that you were ready to see it in a way you weren't yesterday. And that's what's happening with Simeon here. He's spent so much time in these prophecies in Isaiah, in the Psalms, meditating on those, getting them down into his heart so that when God does something to begin to fulfill those promises, he sees, oh, yeah, it's one of those. I've seen this before. I knew this was coming. I know how to recognize it and see what it is. And a lot of his fellow Jews at the time didn't see some of the nuance that he got here, like, how the Messiah was being given to Israel as a light to the nations. Most uh, Jews were thinking at this point that the Messiah is coming for us to restore Israel and we're gonna be supreme again. We're gonna have our own land and and be great. But the focus wasn't on this whole transformation of the world through uh, God's people. But Simeon sees that because he's been sitting in all of that prophecy where God has said, this is what I'm gonna do. Now, how Simeon responds when he recognizes what God is doing is particularly stunning to me, and I think it's the, the part of this passage that resonates so much with me. So the Holy Spirit directs Simeon towards Jesus, presumably revealing to him something like, this is the one you've been waiting for. This is the one I promised to show you. And we see Simeon's response at the beginning of his blessing, Lord, now you're letting your, your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. He sees a 40-day-old baby who hasn't really done anything yet as Messiah, and his response is, I can die now. You've kept your promise, God. That's wild. And then in his blessing, he talks about the rest of the Messianic promise as if it's already fulfilled, as if it's already happened. He sees the partial fulfillment, and he says, oh, yeah, from this deposit, I know you're good for it, God. It's as if it's already happened. We saw the same thing in Mary, by the way, a couple weeks ago. In In her response, when the angel says what's going to happen, um, she talks about it as if God's already done this thing. And, and I think there's something to that. Uh, knowing that God is faithful, knowing what he's promised, as we begin to see some of his promises being fulfilled, we can recognize this is just the beginning of a thing and we can be confident the rest of it will come. So we've seen that Simeon's waiting was saturated in Scripture. He knew it deeply and saturated in the Holy Spirit. He had the Holy Spirit in him and he was paying attention to the Holy Spirit and listening and responding. And this produced in him a beautiful faith-filled response. But as I said, what Simeon had in part, God has made available to us much more fully. And this should shape our response to God in our waiting. So let's dig into that for a moment. What do I mean when I say what Simeon had in part, God has made available to us more fully? First, the Holy Spirit. Simeon was particularly favored by God among people at that time to have the Holy Spirit in him, filling him and guiding him. That wasn't a normal thing. But Jesus promised that when he ascended to heaven, he would send the Holy Spirit to be in all of his followers. This first happened dramatically um, at Pentecost in Acts 2 and then on a couple other occasions as the gospel spread to Samaria and then to the Gentiles. But then from that point on, there's mostly not a dramatic filling of the Holy Spirit. It's just the apostles refer to all those who believe in and follow Jesus as having the Holy Spirit in them. It's treated as the Holy Spirit has come on the church and now it's, he's here. For example, 1 Corinthians 3, the Apostle Paul calls out the Corinthian believers for divisions and immaturity, so he's not holding them up as exemplary examples of being a good church. And then he says, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? He's not singling out the best, most exemplary Christians in Corinth and say, you've got the Holy Spirit because... God favors you or you've had some special experience. He's talking to the whole congregation, a pretty messed up congregation based on Paul's letters to them. But he assumes all of them have the Holy Spirit simply because they believed in Jesus. So you and I can have confidence as believers, whatever our spiritual spiritual maturity or our level of personal holiness on any particular day we can have confidence that we have the Holy Spirit in us, like Simeon did. And therefore, we can depend on the Holy Spirit to do the things that He does to empower us, to reveal the truth about God to us and the truth about ourselves, and to purify us and produce in us that fruit of the Spirit. If you read passages like today's in Luke 2 and wish God would guide you like that, or if you read the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians and wish you had more love, joy, peace, patience in your life, you can trust the Holy Spirit for those things. He's not pushy. It's on us to pay attention to His guidance and to allow Him to transform us from the inside out. But He's in us, and those are the things He does if we'll allow Him to do it. Uh, I think there's there's this kind of collaboration like you see with Simeon. Like Sometimes we think of that as I just need to get out of the way for God to do what he's doing. Um, but Simeon's not being passive like that with the Holy Spirit. Um, it's not I need to get out of the way. I need to come uh, alongside or I need to do what the Spirit wants me to do. I need to participate in it. Uh, so for things like Um, our purification, like putting to death sin in our lives and um, seeing the fruit of the Spirit. Um, It is a a thing the Spirit does, and it's a thing the Spirit does with our active participation. Likewise, Simeon gets that guidance to go to the temple. It's a thing the Spirit does in him, and um, it's a thing that the Spirit does with his active participation. So this is this active participation in what the Spirit wants to do, not just passive, get out of the way. So we can have confidence that we have the Spirit and that the Spirit will work in us. Um, There are examples and there's kind of language around um, being filled with the Spirit in the New Testament, which seems to refer to particular times where the Spirit acts a lot in or through a person and we're even encouraged to pray for that kind of thing. Um, So you can have the Spirit and you can sort of be filled more with the spirit and I think that's something to pray for and and seek say God I want more of your presence in me and more of you acting in and through me but you can always have confidence if you follow Jesus the holy spirit is in you and will be doing these these things empowering revealing purifying we also have more scripture than Simeon had in his waiting he had the old testament prophecies about the messiah we have the New Testament fulfillment and application of those. At least many of them. There are some that remain unfulfilled that we look forward to. But we have a more complete and clear revelation of what God is doing in his creation. And this gives us a better understanding of the promises from God that we can depend on. And it gives us greater confidence in the fulfillment of those promises. If one of my sons says he's going to complete a half dozen chores and hasn't started any of them, I have some confidence because I trust him, but if he's completed five of the six and ran out of time and says, I'll finish that up tomorrow, I have a lot more confidence that all six of those things are going to get done. And that's kind of where we're at here. Simeon just sees this little kernel of fulfillment and trusts God for the rest of it. We get to see how remarkably, beautifully, and completely so many prophecies got fulfilled in Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection. And so, those that remain, we can have that much more confidence in. Of course, we only benefit from having a more complete Scripture if we get it in us. There's no substitute for actually reading the Bible. And I would encourage you so strongly to not just read through the Bible, but read through the whole Bible. See how the whole thing fits together. Not, of course, in one sitting or anything. That's too much. Um, But it is very possible to read through the whole Bible in the course of a year or two years at a a very reasonable pace. Uh, So find a reading plan and see how the whole story hangs together, how God makes a promise and fulfills His promise. And that will build in you that faith and confidence that the promises that you need Him to fulfill in, in your life He will because that's who He is and that's what He does. Uh, So be in the Word every day and be in all of it regularly so that you see everything God wants you to see about Him and about you. Um, And if that's something you want help getting started with, um, talk with any of your elders and deacons here like me or Matt or... uh, gospel community leaders, we'd love to help you do that because it prepares you to wait like Simeon and to see what God is doing in your life, which is really going to be the complete and dramatic fulfillment of everything God said He would do. That'll happen in the end, but we're in this in-between where we get little bits and pieces, and the more we have the Word in us, the more we can see what God is doing and respond to it in faith. So, may we as Grace City be a people who, like Simeon, are saturated in the Holy Spirit and the Word of God as we wait on God to do what He has promised to do. He's already given us the gifts of His Spirit and the Bible. Let's receive and live, Receive those and live lives shaped by those gifts.